punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are moved again! Hello there. Welcome to the Nesson Bruins podcast. I'm Nesson.com's Logan Mullen, joined as always and once again by Nesson.com's Mike Cole and Lauren Campbell. Guys, how's it going? It's going. Okay. Uh, we're, we're getting there. You know, it's, it's, we're just trying to one day at a time is, uh, is all we can really say at this point. It's been, yeah. been a bit of an issue getting, uh, getting just to this, this point. So that's true. We were, it's two twelve right now. We were supposed to start recording at two. And then a litany of tech issues delayed us and our jam-packed schedule. So it might have to be a quick one then because we are just very tough to find open space for. Um, anywho, it's about the midway point, actually a little past the midway point of the Boston Bruins season. I tried to do the math in my head of what the legitimate midway point would have been from the start of the season to the end of it. I was incapable of doing that. So basically all you need to know is it's the all-star break and the Bruins have played 43 games. They're going to play, I guess, another 39 in very quick order from February through the end of April. Uh, but now I think we're at the point where there's been a big enough sample size and a, a lack of COVID stoppages to where you can make better sense of who the Bruins actually are now uh, than you probably could about a month ago. If The outlook would have been a lot more grim, I think, if we were having this conversation a month ago. But I guess for the jumping off point, when you think about the fact that the Bruins had about two or three kind of bumpy months uh, where they were fine, but not nearly as good as they should have been. And then this last month where by and large, they've looked like world beaters. Do you guys have any thoughts on what version of the Bruins uh, is more apt for who they actually are? Is it somewhere in the middle or why don't you go ahead? I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think that um, where they're at right now, Standings wise is probably where I would have had them. I think they're, they've been fine. They've shown flashes of what they certainly can do. They've gone on little runs here. They've, they've beaten good teams, but I mean, there's still a lot of, there's still a lot to fix. Um, I wasn't, I certainly wasn't expecting anything like the Tampa Bay lightning or Colorado avalanche by any means. Um, And they're, they're just, they're playing fine. I think that there's always room for improvement, but from where they started, at the beginning of the season to where they are now, I think they're just a team that's just kind of somewhere down the middle of the road. Yeah. A lot of questions. I, I think it was a legitimate question mark coming into the season as to whether they would make the playoffs. Uh, maybe that was a little bit of a no pun intended bearish take on my part. Uh, but you know, I, I think they've pretty much, I, you can't, nobody's guaranteed anything at this point, but you look at the standings, they're nine points clear of Detroit with three games in hand. Um, I think they're the, the better team than, than the Red Wings. And then you look down the standings, it doesn't look like a, a, you know, a strong threat to catch them. I'm penciling them in as a playoff team. I'm not quite doing it in pen just yet. Uh, but I think it, it, their, their outlook uh, as you know, regards to the playoffs is pretty rosy. And I think that that is a, a step in the right direction. They have had issues, as Lauren kind of mentioned, um, at various points in the season. And I think they've done a nice job of kind of fixing some of those on the fly. 
the problem, if you want to call it that, is that they haven't completely fixed those. They it's been a lot of, you know, band aids as opposed to stitches. Um, it, where it's you know, or, or another way is they once they put you know plug one hole, another one kind of opens up. But that's kind of life as a middle of the road team, as as Lauren called them. I do think they have a potential to to be even better down the stretch. Uh, but it's going to require a lot. It's going to require staying healthy. It's probably going to require uh, making some sort of move at or around the deadline. And it's going to you know, require their best players or their, you know, I mean, I, if you want to call Tuka Rask their, one of their best players, it's going to require people like that playing to their fullest potential. But other than that, I think it's kind of gone as, as planned. It was not going to be as smooth as it's been in years past, but I think it speaks to their veteran core and their coaching staff that they've been able to kind of steer this thing um, in a, in a relatively uh, efficient manner. I'm probably more bullish on the Bruins now than I was at the beginning of the season. And I think the biggest thing for me is the fact that they've actually had some of their younger guys start to show up. Like they're, they're not nearly as good as I would say like the 17, 18 team was, but I see a little bit of that in this Bruins team where that was when that was Jake DeBrusque's rookie year. And he ended up being very good. Like Brandon Carlo was coming around. That was Charlie McAvoy's first NHL season. And so you looked at sort of the established group that they had and where they had filled things in around the margins with their depth players. And then all of a sudden there's all this depth because these young players started working out, you know, you look now and you think, okay, well, Steen's a full-time NHL player. Uh, Vakaninen's a full-time NHL player. You have to think that at this point, you probably can't write off Stadnika, so there's still a little bit of hope there. But the fact that they found out that two guys, I mean, if you want to include Bleed, too, um, there's three guys right there who have been perennial AHL players slash developing players. And as it turns out, they're actually able to hack it in the NHL. So when you look around and you think, okay, well, Eric Halla hasn't been great. Nick Foligno hasn't been great. Well, that's been kind of replaced by the fact that they've had other guys step up. And then you start to think, well, Hall is coming around. That's obviously a benefit. And then you start to sort of look up and down the roster and you think, well, if they trade someone, they're kind of at the place now where they're taking a pretty good player out of the lineup, right? And they're doing this all with a guy like DeBrusque who doesn't want to be here. And, you know, you start to get to a point where you think, this team is doing pretty well and they're doing it with a fair amount of depth that could get even better. Um, and so I, you know, the pace that they've been at the last month, I don't know if it would be fair to say that they're going to continue at that pace, especially because I mean, it, it was an absolute heater for the better part of about four weeks, but I think that's closer to what they are than this team that couldn't, that almost looked inexperienced and like couldn't close out games. It was making mistakes that they really shouldn't make. Um, so with that, and I guess I probably touched on my side of things a little bit, but at this point, what would you say the biggest surprise and biggest disappointment has been for each of you? The biggest disappointment I think would be, you know, the, the Eric Hollas and the Nick Felinos because they came in and Eric Holla was playing well before he went into COVID protocol, but, um, Felino, you know, he came in to, to provide secondary scoring. He hasn't exactly done that. I know Bruce Cassidy really praises his veteran leadership and his vocalness on the bench, which it certainly does help. But when you're not contributing on the score sheet as much as you were brought in to do, it makes you wonder, you know, 
they gave Steen and Bleed these these extended looks in Vacanine and these these extended looks. Is this what happens when you start to trust your youth in the in the AHL? Like, should they, you know, do this with Jack Stanika and give him a legitimate look? I don't know. Um, as for, for for the surprise, I would say maybe like Linus Allmark only because I didn't have very high hopes for him. I, he's a solid goalie. He just came from a, a losing team um, that lost a lot over the years, different system. And he's been fine. He hasn't, you know, it's, we've talked about him before. He hasn't been spectacular by any means, but he's been good enough to win them games and adjusting to a team that's used to winning has a lot of eyes on you at all times. I'm pleasantly surprised by Allmark. For me, I've been pleasantly surprised by the efficiency with which they've played team defense, at least at times. I think if we go back to some of the conversations we've had earlier in the season, it was a bit of a mess. And there are still games where they're going to get run out of the building because they're just not as good as they used to be. Uh, So that will happen. But I think if you look at some of the advanced numbers and not to completely undermine Lauren's point, because I think it's like a good one in terms on the whole with Olmark, but they have, if you look at like expected saves and, and things like that, there's a clear drop off from what they've been in the past, which makes sense. Like Linus Oldmark is not prime Duke Rask. Um, so I think that they, I think the numbers kind of point to them being better defensively than maybe I expected them, or even they've looked at certain points. Um, and that kind of is tangentially related to what Logan was talking about too, where they've gotten con- contributions from younger players uh, who have, you know, taken that step and kind of, especially on the back end um, where, you know, how often it felt like every week we were talking about, you know, what do they do? Who is Charlie McAvoy's partner? What do they do? You know, everything else that, you know, how do the dominoes fall into place after that? Um, It feels like there's at least a little bit of stability on the back end now. So I think that that's, um, that's encouraging. I think you look at a guy like Bergeron, even he looked old for lack of a better term earlier in the season, he's kind of finding his stride. Um, and I think that goes a long way in, in the, the team defense. So I think front and back, they've been a little bit better defensively than I expected. My disappointment so far has been, you know, Taylor Hall, I guess. Uh, and he's even, you know, he mentioned, I think after last night's game or after Tuesday night's game, that he's got another gear he can go to. Um, I think for what his contract is, I, it's not you know, the worst free agent signing you've ever seen. Uh, they've got him at a pretty good deal relative to his ceiling. I just don't know how often he gets to his ceiling um, or he just hasn't gotten there as much. He's looked better recently, I think. Um, and now that they've kind of found, found some stability with lines, maybe that helps him in the long term. But, um, you know, I think you, you're kind of hoping they had that kind of – I think they had that going differently in their minds uh, for that second line, and then it's kind of played out clearly. And, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of change, so this is it's kind of a work in progress still. It is weird because while you were saying that, I was going to look back and the Bruins as of January 29th were first in the NHL and 5v5 expected goals against. And, you know, we've been sitting here for a while with basically no idea, with, I don't want to say no idea, but many question marks around the defense. I mean, they were healthy scratching Mike Riley earlier in the season. Carlo was a mess. They were cycling Forbert and Grizzlick through with McAvoy, to your point, Mike. Uh, Vakanainen's gotten looks there. Zaboro, before he got hurt, got looks with McAvoy. So 
it, I would say that's probably my biggest surprise. And I, I get Lauren's point too, because it's like, nobody really knew what Olmark was going to be. The numbers were obviously good because he was seeing a crap load of shots and that inspired optimism. But I think a lot of us were curious of what kind of learning curve there was going to be going to a new organization, especially when he wasn't necessarily facing a firing squad every night. Um, that said, I, you know, I, I guess my overall biggest disappointment, though, for isolating certain players would maybe be Craig Smith. I, you know, he got a lot better on that first line, but he's already slipped back a little bit. They've started moving him around, which was partially out of necessity. But even earlier in the season, they just weren't – there were too many games where he was invisible. And, you know, he's not a point-per-game player. He's obviously a very gifted offensive player, but – Last season, it felt like there were a lot of times where even if he wasn't scoring in a particular game, you always noticed him. And there have been games where I'd finish watching and I would think, like, did I even see Craig Smith at all that entire game? And that's just very much flies in the face of what he's generally about. And, you know, you saw with the top line how effective he can be when he's on his game. But it's six goals, I think it is, eight assists, something like that. Uh, so far this season, yeah, he's 10th on the team in points. He's behind Dabrowski, he's behind Halla, he's behind Grizzly. Um, and that's in 36 games. So that's, you know, they, they need more from him. And I think that I floated the take maybe a month ago. The Bruins might go as far as Craig Smith takes them because he's such an important part of kind of what they do, especially because you can slot him in basically anywhere in the lineup and know what you're going to get from him. Uh, so that would probably be, I, you could say, biggest disappointment and biggest surprise. Um, overall, though, I would say the biggest surprise would be the fact that for all the challenges they've had defensively, they've still been very good, um, even with largely average goaltending. Um, goals against this season, they're fifth in the league. They, they've given up 120. So that's really not bad, especially when you consider that the goaltending's been somewhere between 15th and 20th, basically the entire season. Um, so, you know, we're, we're still kind of in the middle, right? It's almost fact-finding a little bit uh, with this group of Bruins. So I guess what would you like to see over the course of the next couple of months? Like, I think we're all in agreement that the Bruins should get in the playoffs. The Red Wings aren't going to catch them. The Blue Jackets aren't going to catch them. The Flyers aren't going to catch them. Uh, you know, if we're talking, okay, we're looking at the end of April and the Bruins are in a divisional playoff spot. They seem like a legitimate contender. What do we think has to happen in order for them to sort of get to that point? Well, Tuka Rask has to be healthy, uh, first and foremost. Um, and I think I'd like to see some more secondary scoring. I think that um, that it's been, I mean, it's been better, but every year I feel like it's the same conversation that it's, they're, they've been a one-line team and then they can't figure out figure it out in the playoffs. And I like the move that, that, that Bruce Cassidy has stuck with the move of Pasternak on the second line. I think that that's not something he should change, but overall I'd like to see a little more from, from Nick Foligno, from, from Eric Halla. I think that, with them, you know, if they were going to be able to contribute the way that they thought they were going to, when they signed them, they're going to be, I mean, I don't want to say dangerous, but they're going to be a solid team in the playoffs. I kind of in a similar thought and kind of related to some of the stuff Logan has been talking about. I think a big key is like non-injury related line stability. 
And that's easier said than done uh, in, in professional sports because injuries happen, trade requests happen, et cetera, et cetera. A lot is out of the control of the coach. Um, but I think if they can find some sort of stability, that means a lot of the exterior stuff is taking care of itself one way or another. That means the Jake DeBrusque thing has been resolved at least for the short term, perhaps even for the long term. It likely means, you know, Craig Smith has regained something of what he saw or what we saw from him last year. It maybe means Felino and Halla have kind of found their grooves, you know, for, for lack of a better term. I think I'd be a little bit weary of depending on the younger guys, going back to Logan's original point, because how many times have we seen it, especially in hockey, where you know you get good contributions from young guys for four or five months, and then March and April roll around, and it turns into a completely different game. And that's not even talking about the playoffs. That's talking about the stretch run. Like This turns into a different sport basically after the all-star game, after the you know, trade deadline into March, when you, you know, every point starts to matter more, um, there's not as many layups on the schedule. And I think it's even more of a, an impact this year with the condensed schedule down the stretch. So, um, you know, you're going to have to start playing tougher hockey. And that's where I think you really need guys like Felino and Holla to, to find their, you know, for their water to reach its level. And if that's the case, then like I said, it goes back to that line stability. Once everybody knows what their role is, knows who they're going to be skating with, and is, can feel somewhat confident about having reliable, you know, line mates, uh, I think that goes a long way in kind of solidifying this this roster just in general. I would agree with that, Mike. Like, I, that's probably where I fall to in terms of the biggest thing is they need some level of consistency. I guess I'll borrow from both of you guys because the other side of it is Rask and figuring that out and figuring out where he's at. Now, even if for one reason or another, Rask doesn't work out, I feel confident enough in their defense and goaltending that it should be good enough. Um, Olmark, I think, has looked very good the, the last few weeks, especially since Rask has been back. Um, so, so I have no issues with him. I'd say at this point, even if you know Rask misses significant time, Olmark's your number one and then Swayman's behind him that seems like a pretty clear uh one and two to me what i'm interested to see is if they cycle a studnika in um to the mix because one thought i've had is you know they, they could try him on that second line instead of Holland. they they could put studnika between hall and Pasternak and see how that goes and the reason i say that is because i think that would impact how you approach the trade deadline and potentially free agency to a degree, because if you're looking at it and okay, say Stadnika works out, maybe then you direct your attention more towards a Chikrin than a JT Miller, if you're going to go big, um, because then, you know, you have the safeguard of Holler or whatever, um, or you go for a winger, right? You go for a Max Domi, somebody like that. Uh, if you still don't see it, that Stadnika is going to work out if he needs more time, or you think it might be a lost cause, then you can probably prepare accordingly. I mean, we talked last week about the Miller thing being sort of Bergeron insurance if they were to go that route. Uh, I think there's a certain level of fact-finding that they need to do on a certain level of prospects. And, and there is enough cushion where in the standings where they don't necessarily have the room to just mess around and try everybody out. But I think you can kind of tinker with that stuff a little bit and see what you have and at least know what your organizational depth looks like, because that would 
to a certain degree, impact decisions. Now, to your point, Mike, I mean, we have seen guys flame out. Look, last year, Lozon got really bad in the playoffs. You know, he started off great, flamed out. Zaborla was more so injury stuff. Um, Trent Frederick, great the first two months, even though he wasn't scoring much. Um, when he wasn't hurt, he was basically invisible and hasn't picked it back up much since. Um, so I certainly agree that there's a level of you can't just say, well, this worked for a little bit, so let's stick with it. Because, I mean, we're seeing it right now, right? Oscar Steen has been fine, but he has not been as impactful as when he first came up in those opening stretches. Um, so I don't know. I think that there's a little bit of trial and error that still needs to be done the next six weeks, basically, leading up to the trade deadline, because I'm sure if you did the whole truth serum thing with Don Sweeney, he would probably say, I don't know uh, where this team's at right now, because it has been all over the place and you've been getting contributions from a variety of sources. And what happens if that water does find its level, right? What if Hall can't reach that next year? What if Eric Halla goes back to where he was at the beginning of the season? What if Felino doesn't get right? Like there are so many variables there that it can get a little bit dicey. So I guess we just spent 20 minutes basically saying we don't know. Um, and there's reason to be optimistic, but uh, at this rate, there's still just so many games left. And my thing would be they threw a lot of games away at the beginning of the year just because they couldn't close them out. What happens when they get to these every point matters kind of games? Um, so unless you guys have any final thoughts, we can probably call it there. I was going to, I think this is kind of related to what you were just talking about. And this is like, I don't know. Do we read anything into like this last three game stretch um, going into the all-star break where there was two wins, but they struggled with Arizona and with Seattle. Um, and then who was and the Colorado game? Maybe they just, you know, they, they emptied the bucket against Colorado and they, you know, kind of laid a relative egg Friday night in Arizona. And then Tuesday night, they were looking ahead to the all-star break, but those are the kind of things I think they, they would go a long way in solidifying my confidence in them if they could shore that up. And I wonder if that's just a mark of a young team, if that's a mark of an inconsistent team, or if it's just a blip on the radar, that doesn't mean anything. It's just, again, I think there are more, uh, more factors, more variables with this team than we've seen in the past. I think this past week has been an interesting example of that. Well, that Arizona or uh, Colorado game was probably their best game of that final stretch, uh, and they lost. So I, I agree. I think there's a little bit of uncertainty there. If there's anything to take away from that, it would probably be that there should be some level of trepidation around this schedule because – it, it sure looked like a lot of these games were running. They were running on fumes and especially what was it Tuesday against Seattle. It felt like they were crawling to the finish at times and, and, and they finished up well. Right. But that would probably cause a little bit of concern in the sense that, okay, well you can get hot, but they're not going to have, I, I the amount of two day breaks between games in the back half of the season are few and far between. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of playing every other night. And what happens when you're in mid March and you can't just take your foot off the gas and say, well, we've got this 
four day break or three day break coming up. So that point's well taken, Mike. I think there's they, some legitimacy to that. They have a brutal stretch coming out of the All Star break too, where at a certain point it's at Ottawa, the Rangers, the Islanders, and Ottawa again. They come home to play Colorado on a I think that's President's Day matinee game. And then they go back out for the other half of their West Coast trip where it's Seattle, San Jose, the Kings, Ducks, Golden Knights, and then Columbus on the way home. Like that is a that's eight a or nine. Grind. That's an eight or nine game stretch that is just it's the meat grinder where it's two it's two long road trips with a game against the Stanley Cup favorite mixed in between. So that's good. I think we're gonna start to to learn a lot about them. And that to your point, like everybody's got to be pulling the rope in that one or else they're going to get exposed because that's just, that's a, that's a bear of a trip. That's a bear of two trips, really. So. I feel like that lends credence to my theory that they should try different guys out. Right. That that's where it would be. Okay. Maybe not against Colorado, but, or, you know, Vegas on the road, but they're probably going to have to make roster moves based around sheer fatigue. Um, I don't know. That's just my stance on it. And then 10 days after that, they go back out to Chicago, Minnesota, then Winnipeg. They do like that Midwest trip that always seems to, you know, by the end of that, like going to Winnipeg at the end of a road trip does not, actually it's not the end of a road trip because they go from Winnipeg to Montreal, but like, it feels like Winnipeg or Minnesota is always a tough one when you start doing that, that Midwest trip. So there's, you know, there's a lot, a lot of hockey left to play, I guess is the really the, the short way of putting it. So I don't know, something to keep an eye on. Lauren, anything else? I say this: the schedule is uh, it's a lot for the Bruins. You now they started off the season barely playing, and now they're getting all their games shoved into a, a month. So um, we're going to learn a lot about the Bruins in that stretch there, for sure. It would also make me fearful that they'll get to the playoffs just crawling to the finish there. So you know, it, unless and there's a lot of games left, right? So they still could get in with a divisional spot. But if they get a wild card spot, they're walking into a series against Tampa or Carolina, probably in that first round. After going through an absolute grind of a schedule, that is an unenviable position to be in. Um, so you know, I'm sure that whether it's consciously or not is probably guiding some of our thinking around all this because there are so many factors at play which I guess is exciting in a way because it means well there's a lot of incentive to watch the Bruins uh, over the next couple of months there's going to be hockey all the time and it's going to be meaningful games by and large Uh, so with that we'll call it there Uh, I'm Logan that's Mike and Lauren this has been the Nesson Bruins podcast and until next time see ya